I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Step Over Podcast. I am Jim Adair. With me as always is Max. It's a trap port Max, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jim. I'm trying to do a, a, a good pun every episode, but so far I've only had two, which was that and Parappa the Rappaport. Parappa uh, the Rappaport was much better than it's a trap port Yeah, I burned, I I burned the good one early. Uh, if anyone has any good ideas for puns with Max's name, send them at me. Maybe we'll use them in a future pod. How's that sound to you, Max? Um, are we going to do this for like 76 more episodes like we have with the player numbers? I mean, maybe if we get 76 puns of varying goodness levels. Um, I'm down with that. Yeah, but speaking of that, episode 76, so it is episode uh, Hip Hop, Sometimes Franklin, and Sean Bradley. There you go. Uh, also, as as I did a couple of episodes, I think I forgot the last episode uh, that we did, um... The closest game played to this date in 1976 uh, was on November 4th, where the Sixers beat the Golden State Warriors 101-96. Leading scorer for the Sixers in that game had 26 points. Max, who do you think it was? Was it Dr. J? No, it was once again Doug Collins. God damn it. Yeah, he was uh, 12 for 22 from the floor. He had 26. George McGinnis had 22. Dr. J had 19. And the leading scorer for the Warriors with 28 was Rick Barry. Mm, of course. Yep, there you go. Just as it was predicted. Um, so, uh, I'm excited to talk about a win, which is great, because we were going to pod after uh, the loss the other night and decided not to, because it was a shit loss that we didn't want to talk about right after. Um, last night's game was good. It was one of the two types of games that I had wanted to see when it comes to wins so far this year. I still want to see a win where the Sixers just handle a team from wire to wire and, and the game is never really in doubt. And I wanted to see a game where, uh, whether it be against a good team or a not-so-good team, which you could argue the Clippers are, um, where they kind of lose a little bit and they are forced to hold a lead or come back and regain a lead, which is what happened after they went on, like I think, the Clippers went on like a 28-4 to run in the third quarter. Um and then, again, just as you expected, Markel Fultz came in the game. Uh, Fultz ended last night's game, I have it here, uh, with just you know 12 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, which for Fultz's career so far are, are pretty good numbers. He was 5 for 10 from the floor, didn't attempt a 3. He was 2 for 4 from free throw. Uh, but most importantly, he was tied with Joel Embiid for best plus minus, and he was plus 16. Now, I tweeted before la- yesterday's game that... Um, uh, because of the early sample size and whatever, whatever, that uh, I think there were like 28 two-man pairings that had a negative plus minus or something like that, and Fultz was part of a, a good chunk of them. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't look it up to check it, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those are now in the positive because such a small sample size, that's what tends to happen. Net rating, the same kind of deal. Um, but 
what did you think, see from Fultz last night, you know, outside of going right at uh, my, my best friend Boban uh, and, and scoring on him and, and doing some cool finishing things? What else did you see from Fultz that you really liked last night? Well, I think this has kind of been the case. It's it's definitely been the case every time we've done a podcast, but I feel like even game over game, it's it's been pretty consistent that um, in addition to just like looking better right now than he did three games ago, two games or you know, four games ago, five games ago, I feel like he just looks so much more confident every time he plays. Yeah. And it's it's really obvious. And I thought this, again, like I know this is what we talked about last time because I, I thought it was true then, but um, last night's game I feel like he, he just looked different. Like he just looked like, um, I forget what game it was. It would have been, um, I guess it was about a week and a half ago. I guess it was the, um, would it have been the game against Milwaukee? Or maybe Detroit, um, where I thought for the first time he like kind of flashed that like okay this is I don't have to like squint to see it right um, and and not like see that he's capable or deserves playing time or whatever but like see like okay I'm actually seeing stuff that occasionally he's looking like a guy who would be the number one pick um, and I feel like last night was the most I've seen that um, even though he didn't make a jumper. Um, he struggled in the beginning of the game. He had a really amazing stretch at the end of the third, early fourth. But I thought like that stretch of time from whatever it was, like the four-minute mark of the third when he came back in um, to the whatever it was, seven- or eight-minute mark of the fourth when he came out for the last time, those minutes were the by far the best minutes he's played as a sixer and felt for the first time, even though it was different because he wasn't making jumpers, for the first time it felt like watching him in Summer League in 2017 where you're like, man, this guy is impactful all over the floor, and like you notice mm-hmm. him on every possession. Yeah, absolutely, and he did some good defensive stuff. He was, you know, they do a lot of switching, but he had to guard Lou Williams and a man that I still like and still hold on to my like for, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, and did a good job on both of those guys. And again, it's the, the, the confidence seemed to be contagious last night. Now, I know he's one of five on the floor, and those other four guys had a big part to do with that as well, with you know going on runs and, and staving off runs by the Clippers. But like you said, like that was that was the first full game where I think I didn't have to, like you said, squint to see you know what we hope Markel Fultz is and what he can be. Um, so that's a great sign. Uh, we could talk a little bit about pairings on the floor. He did all that in 21 minutes, um, which I think. I'll, I think we'll probably get into this a little bit later because I think we have some questions later about Fultz most likely because this is a Sixers podcast. Um, that staggered a little bit with not playing with Simmons a little bit and this and that. So I think maybe that's the sweet spot now, like 20 to 26 minutes or so mm-hmm. uh, versus 30 to 35. I think that's probably the sweet spot to keep him in for, you know, if you want to get the most out of him. Um, and it showed last night. Um, also, Joel Embiid, obviously, uh, went off 41-13. Uh, including four offensive rebounds, four blocks, uh, one assist, two turnovers, which is, you know, whatever. Uh, went three for eight from three. I know we've talked a lot about wanting to get those three-point attempts down, but if he's taking 32 shots, I'm fine with him throwing up eight threes every once in a while. Not not on every night, but I'll take three for eight. Um, I, I looked this up. I know, again, I will put this out as a, as a, a big caveat. Uh, Joel Embiid is not going to average what he's currently averaging for the whole season. If he if he does, it's I I it's just going to be crazy. But uh, I don't think he will. So he is currently putting up 
Uh, let me pull this up. He's putting up 28.6 points a game. 28.6, uh, 11.9 rebounds, 3.8 assists, and 2.3 blocks, right? Yeah. Um, if he was to, so, so I you know bring that down a little bit. So if he was to average 28 points a game, 11 and a half rebounds, uh, 3.5 assists, and he's at like 3.8 and two blocks. So just take everything, basically round it down to the next like half. Um, he would be only the it'd be only the fifth season ever by a player uh, to put up those numbers since they started counting um, blocks and rebounds and assists. Uh, twice were Shaq in 99, 2000, and 2000, 2001. Once was Kareem, and once was Bob McAdoo. And then wow. it would be Joel Embiid. Now, like I said, not going to keep those numbers up for the full season, but that's an incredibly encouraging sign. And last night he got some MVP chance, and I think outside of the Lakers game where he dropped, I think, like 46, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was later in the, a little bit later in the year. Um I think this is the first time those MVP chants were fully 100% earned. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we talked about it before the year. I, th- I think he's going to... I think the, the question is going to be the Sixers team success about whether yeah. he's actually in the conversation or not. But I think yes. based on his play, he is absolutely in the conversation right now. Um, yeah. And I, I do think it'll drop off a little bit. But we had, we had said before the year, like, I forget what the over-under was set at. It was like 23 and a half, maybe. Yeah. Um, we both said it could be closer to 27, 28. And yeah. that's where it means a little over that now is it almost 29. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if it stayed somewhere around 27, 26 and a half and 11 boards. The, the three, the almost four assists, the 3.8 assists is pretty impressive too. And he's blocking shots again in yeah. a way that I think we, I think we w- both went with the under on that. Yeah. Um, Cause his, his numbers were so down in that category the year before. And it was like, was he just kind of chasing blocks in his first year? And was that part of it? But I think like the fact that he's in such better shape, that he's just smarter about how he plays defense. I think mm-hmm. he's he's so impactful on that end too. He's playing the best defense he's ever played. Yeah. Um great games from JJ and Covington, which is I mean, we're they can take those for granted right now, which is sounds crazy to say about Covington. It's four for five from the floor, two for two from three. Um, again, that's, those are numbers that will come down. Covington is currently shooting 44.8% from three. That will come down. Uh, but he's taking six and a half a game, which is uh, actually he's taking the same amount per game as he was taking in 2014-2015. Uh, um, he's taking his fewest total shots per game in Philadelphia since the, hmm. the, the one season where he played seven games in Houston. I won't count. Uh, only 10, which is, I mean, he's always been between 10 and 10.9, but still. Um, yeah, and he's been looking great, playing great defense as well. He'll hit a slump at some point. Um, JJ will have, you know, a couple of rough nights here and there, but they've both been doing uh, just incredibly. And uh, it pains me to say, um, but Dario's been doing so fucking bad. Oh, my God, man. It he's been is... doing so bad. So incredibly it is bad, brutal. I I can't yeah. believe he's still playing as many minutes as he's playing. Like that, so, uh, that, it, yes. that hasn't affected his playing time to this point. Right. So I'll get to that in a second. But just to put this in context, um, you know, Dario, as we've said many times, and a lot of people have been saying, he's a slow starter. He starts every year slow. Uh, he picks it up. He had a great, not even second half of the year last year. He had a great, you know, second eight tenths of the year last year. Right. Um, but he's played nine games so far. 
uh, and in those nine, uh, he has been averaging 9.9 points, um, which is up from the first nine games of last year. He was uh, averaging 8.2. Uh, he's shooting 33% from the field, which is down from last year's first nine, 36.4. Shooting 24% from three, which is way down from last year. Uh, even early in the year, he was hitting 37% of his threes in the first nine games. Uh, this is the one that really blew my mind in the opposite way, though. Uh, on the same amount of attempts per game, uh, last year he was converting 33.3% of his attempts in the restricted area on 2.3 per game. This year it's at 57%. Hmm. But they're just not... I mean, this is all just... It doesn't like, make up for all the other stuff. It does not even come close. Uh, more and that's rebounds. crazy that that's the case because last night he blew, what, four layups right at the rim? Yeah, yeah. Uh, last He's averaging seven rebounds a game. Last year was 4.7. His assist-to-turnover ratio is markedly better. Uh, and his net rating is markedly better. So if it makes any possible sense, outside of honestly outside of three-point shooting percentage, which is way down, uh, he's either better or like the difference is negligible on the first nine games of last year. Now the expectation is different, which I think is a huge difference. Uh, and the way the team is playing is a little bit different. And it's just a lot more visible after the, the rest of the year he put together last year when you have so much higher expectations for him. But man, it's been rough. And I think you saw that last night and it was smart on Brett's part where you saw essentially the end of the game lineup had Mike Pascala in it instead, instead of Dario playing yeah. those minutes. And Mascala has been playing incredibly well. He's shooting, for, he's hitting forty percent from three, um, shooting seventy five percent from two, but on f- few attempts per game. He's only playing about eighteen minutes a game. Um, but I mean, in the short term, it's good to have that guy backing up Dario, uh, essentially for right now, because and closing out games for him because Dario needs to have that person be somebody who's doing well. Um, now I want to talk about his, you know. You've been saying for a couple of weeks now that you think Dario should be not starting, essentially. Um, and I've disagreed with you, but I have conceded that, like, yeah, I disagree, but, like, I can see it. It's not going to bother me if that happens. Um, my question to you is this. The shooting slump is happening. Uh, he looks a little lost out there, flat-footed mm-hmm. as always. So that's not really new. Um, do you think, because a lot of people are saying, like, give him a rest of a couple of games, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um I don't have Dario Sharch's brain. I don't know what he thinks, what he feels. Do you think giving him rest of a couple games or just cutting his minutes drastically for a couple of games, do you think that'll actually help him or will it hurt him? Do you think he's got to work through this uh, as stubborn as he seems, just work through it? Or do you think giving him, you know, say like five days of like barely playing or not playing uh, will actually help him? See, for me, it's not even about like awakening something in him or like trying to motivate him or whatever. Again, I'm not, I guess I'm also not that concerned about how he would take that. Like he seems, um, it, it seems like he would be, I mean, like just thinking about when he was with FS and when he's um, had to like watch Boyan Bogdanovich jack up 38 shots a game uh, and take a, a really ancillary role on the Croatian team. Like it always seems like he's fine with whatever role they ask him to play, like a team asks him to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not really concerned about that part of it, like that it would hurt his confidence and have the opposite effect. I just feel like for the sake of the team, like he need, like last night he played 24 minutes, which is down from he's averaging about 30 on the year. But it's still honestly, if, if this is how he's playing, he should be playing like 
18 minutes. Like, start him and see how he's playing, but if it continues to be like this, just lean on Mescala a little bit more or try to keep Redick on the floor a little bit more. Like, the the lineup that I'd really like to see, and I, I get why you wouldn't want to change the starting lineup now, but I don't really see why you wouldn't take Saric off, move Simmons defensively to the four, and bring Redick out there and have Fultz, Redick, Covington, Simmons, and Bede. Um, yeah, that makes a lot more sense to me than what pe- I've seen pe- some people suggesting putting Mascala in the starting lineup. That makes I, a lot more sense to me instead of that. Yeah, and I, and I think if you did that, it's like also that's kind of long term. Um, I mean, Redick might not be here long term, but long term, I think that's a lineup that makes more sense. Like if Fulton and Simmons are going to work together, um, which is really why you're starting Fultz is because hey, like I know it. They're both not shooters right now, but this is going to have to work eventually. So let's just get it there. If it's going to work, it's probably going to work with Simmons playing more of a point-forward role um, mm-hmm. anyway. So you're probably going to want someone in the mold of Redick, whether that's Shamit in the future or you trade for Bradley Beal or you try to sign someone. Like, I don't think the future is a Simmons-Foltz backcourt. I think it's a Foltz at point guard, Simmons as the four who also handles the ball a ton. And then you would have another shooter out there along with Covington and Embiid. So I, I, yeah. I don't really know if even having Sharich out there is what will happen in the long. Like I have a hard time imagining in a year or two that's the lineup you want. Imagining the Fulton Simmons pan out together and they're both in the starting lineup like in a couple of years. We'll be right back after this message. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of broadstreethockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for theathletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers. Yeah, and, and just to your point about Muscala's minutes, I mean, looking at the six games he's played there since he missed the first three, he played 17, 18, 17, 19, 16, and then 24. So mm-hmm. he did play more minutes last night. Stat sheet, is there's nothing really jumps out at you from the stat sheet, but he was a plus 13. Um, and I think he just helps with the spacing because right now he's hitting three-pointers and Dario is just flat out not. Um, let's talk about Simmons a little bit since we just came off of um, what could have, I mean, you could probably argue one of the worst games of his professional career the other night. Um, it's got to be, right? It's got to be like the, maybe the worst game he's played since, I, I don't know what his high school game log looked like, but right, worse than I think anything at LSU also. Yeah, because, you know, he had uh, the, he had the my player triple-double with uh, 10 assists, 11 points, 11 turnovers. 
um, which was an outlier on the year so far in the games he's played when it comes to turnovers. He had 3-3-0-3-4-2-11, and then two last night. He had 14 points, uh, 11 assists last night. Um, uh, only three rebounds, which is, you know, whatever. That's A lot of those went to Joel. Um, but he's been up and down so far. The game before, he had 11 turnovers. He had 21 points and two turnovers and nine assists. Last night, he had 14 points, 11 assists, and two turnovers. Um, it could just be a little bit of growing pains. It could be just the, the matchup at Toronto with fucking Kawhi Leonard was... Yeah. I mean, because here's the thing. there a, a couple of those plays were just flat-out bad, boneheaded passes, right? Like, you shouldn't have done that. That was a terrible turnover. There was an offensive foul in there, too, I think. Um, but I think at least, like, two or three of those, he just got straight-up pickpocketed. Yeah. And that's just... That's the Kawhi Leonard effect. But still, if you take those three away, he still had way more turnovers than you want him to have. Um, so, I'm when you know, 11 turnovers, obviously not great, but that was, I think, I am hoping that was a special, a special situation uh, on the year so far. Outside of that, I mean, he's been doing. Is he got his free throw percentage up a little bit so far by like seven percent points, uh, sixty three point two, which you still want that higher. I'd like to see him in the seventy range. Um, field goal percentage is a little bit down, um, but he's been he's, he's so. Last night we talked about this before we started recording. He took. A couple of what you could arguably call jumpers by definition, right? Where, see, we talked about this a little before too, and like there are there are definitely times where he does like a little turnaround hook shot or like a floater. You can arguably call it that are from say eight, nine, ten feet out. But if he takes a shot from five feet out that has the form of a jump shot, it's considered a jumper. So he took a couple of those last night. I think one went in, a couple missed. Um, but those are good things to see, right? Do you, do you think just him taking more and more of those and hoping they just gradually go in more and more is good? Or do you, do you want him to kind of put that out of his mind a little bit and just focus on the, the shots that he knows he's going to make? I want him to take those shots. Like, he took that elbow jumper, or not the elbow jumper, the, like, free throw line jumper last night uh, mm-hmm. that literally I don't even think hit the rim. It, like, hit the right. side, it hit the backboard to the side of the rim and just came, came straight down. Yeah. Um but I'm okay with that. Like, and it was what Brett Brown was saying before the game. Like, I he's capable of doing it. He's not going to be a great shooter or anything. But like, in warmups and in practice, he can hit a 15 foot jumper. There's no reason to just completely take that out of your game. And I think, like you you talked about the the Kawhi Leonard effect, and I I think that was a huge part of his struggles against Toronto. But also, I think it's like. It shows, and I think that maybe the little bit of the Boston series shows that, like, when you take out a huge part of what should be a point guard or, or really any player's game, which is being able to pull up or if you sag off, at least threaten to take a jumper, like, it makes it a lot easier to shut a player down. Um, yeah. And only certain personnel uh, that teams have are going to be able to do that. It just so happens that the Celtics and the Raptors are two teams that can do that have shown that they can do it. Um, and that they can kind of shut Ben Simmons down if he's going to be one dimensional like that. And those are unfortunately the two teams you need to beat. Um, mm-hmm. I might even say the Bucks might fall in there with Giannis, that that's like another player similar to Kawhi, even though he's not as savvy defensively and disciplined and all those things. Like, mm-hmm similarly can can shut a player like Simmons down if all Simmons is going to be able to do is pass and like try to get to the rim um right. so I, I feel like 
he's not going to make a lot of them, but I at least want teams to have to defend it a little bit. Um, I just think it's 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 not helpful to to just not take them. It's the same thing with Fultz that we were talking about early in the year when he was really reticent to shoot. It's like, you know, it, even if you're making 25% of them, that's like it's going to open up other things for you. It's going to open up things for your teammates because, you know, if you're standing 18 feet from the basket, your defender is not standing 8 feet away from you in the paint. You know, so it's right. just... I just uh, I'd like to see more of it. I I know it's it's going to be a work in progress. I I think he's also a lot more comfortable clearly with because he he does take jumpers. Most of them are are post jumpers, so he'll, he'll be ten feet out and he'll kind of do that thing where he turns around and as he's turning squares up to the basket and flicks it. Um, and some of those are actually right handed. He's done a, done that a couple times where he shot it right handed. Um, but even with his left, he's he's okay with that. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is when he's standing with the ball from the high post and there's nobody near him, can he just like square up and take a normal jumper? Right. And I think he's capable of it. I mean, his free throw form looks better. Um, he, you know, can get the ball there. I mean, like his form isn't terrible. Um, you know, if, if like Andre Drummond can take threes, I don't see why Ben Simmons can't take an 18 footer. Right. Yeah. Um, to that point, just looking at uh, shot location numbers, which are from Basketball Reference, which it does say are unofficial, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, he averaged his average shot distance from the rim last year was five point five feet. This year, it's four point eight. Um, he's attempted actually, according to this, a higher percentage of his shots so far have been attempted from three to ten feet, and. 16-2-3. He's attempted fewer shots from 10 to, 10 to 16 range. Um, now, I think part of that comes into the fact that he technically 1.1% of his shots last year were three-pointers, which were heaves. So that kind of throws this, excuse the balance a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, on the three-point percentage by distance, uh, his three-point percentage is down from uh, 3 to 10 feet. It was last year on 3 to 10 feet, he shot 41.7%. This year, it's been 294 uh, 10 to 16 has been 31.6% last year. This year is 22. So he's taking probably on par with the same amount of shots from those distances he took last year. Uh, but as of yet, he is not making as many. Um, but yeah, I mean, you want to see him take those. Uh, he was in minus two last night, but that's a one-game sample. Um, eh, yeah, so I want to see him take them a little bit more. Um, less... Because what he does a lot too is he'll be driving, get to around that the, the the elbow area, and while he's still moving, rise up, his body will turn in the air and he'll he'll shoot. I'd rather see him, you know, do all out the Nami's favorite move, the jump stop, or just pick up his dribble, see if the defender sags from he's moving so fast, and then just take the open jumper. This it's just a set shot. I'd rather see him try to do stuff like that, which he doesn't seem to do. Um, I understand why because his best offensive weapon is when he's physically moving towards the rim and if he stops there's observable then he hurt that but i'd still have to see it every once in a while yeah i agree i i think uh, you know just so many of his of the jumpers he does take are these and i guess it's just easier for him to find the form when he's you know shooting it off the dribble or he's turning around or he's fading away like he's not bad in that regard like it kind of reminds me a little bit of like early Blake Griffin, like rookie year Blake Griffin, the way he would shoot jumpers um, from like 
just outside the paint, um, and it was this like weird form, and and he actually seemed to look better like doing it um, in the same way Simmons is, where he's like, you know, like some sort of fade away or a turnaround. Um, I think like the, the difference is that like I already know that Ben Simmons can score in those ways. Like I already know that Ben Simmons can like get ten feet away, make a you know like do like a show move where he like pull like takes his hand out and and gets a defender to go for it and then turns around and does a hook or a jumper like to me the hook or the jumper doesn't really whether he's doing one or the other doesn't really make a difference it's it's like the you know when you have time like I've I've yet to last night was the first time I think all season that I've seen him just take a jumper when he had space and time um and he yeah. missed it badly but like that's really what's going to make like the other stuff doesn't really affect the defense in terms of keeping him honest because that those are already situations where you're close close-ish to the basket you're being defended closely because you can score from that position anyway with hook shots and or, or you know and move to get to the rim it's like the stuff where where he's not being defended at all that like if he's not gonna be more aggressive with that then i mean teams are going to continue to do what they've been doing and i i think you see like with Fultz, who's like last night, he didn't make a jumper, but he took them, and the fact that he's a threat to take them opens up everything else for him. Right, exactly. And the, for um, a few games when he wasn't doing that, Fultz struggled a lot because, you know, um, if you only have to defend one thing, it just makes right. it a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's move from on the court performance to future on the court aesthetics. Uh, but before we do that, let's take a quick break. So, Max, I want to talk about uh, the City Edition uniforms. I've said a lot about this already, and I'm going to say more about it because I love talking. That's why I have a podcast with you. Um, we've seen a lot of them unveiled now. Almost all, I think, have like either quote-unquote leaked or been officially announced. <laughs> um, the Timberwolves Prince jerseys are fucking incredible. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets Biggie Small jerseys are subtle but great. Um, the new Nuggets kind of, you know, updated throwback with the the Rainbow Skyline is incredible. There's a couple of really great ones. Uh, the Suns sucks. Uh, the Wizards are trash, um, which is it's okay. basically the same. OKC's oh, okay, are nice. OKC's okay, okay, really their, nice. It Those might be their might... first good uniform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the Wizards just basically took their white jerseys from last year. Like, what if they're black now? Uh, Chicago's are really cool. Um, any other ones that jumped out to you that I haven't mentioned? Uh, the, uh, I'm just thinking of, like, Detroit has that new one with, like, it's the Motor City jersey, and it kind of has, like, a tire yeah, print. Racing almost, stripe. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm okay with them. That's whatever. I I, uh, I think very clearly the uh, the Nuggets rainbow jerseys. I actually think these rainbow ones they just came out with are better than the originals, um, sure. which is very rare that that happens, that a team yeah. does a, like, take on an old jersey that's not just a shittier version of the old one. This one looks amazing it's like yeah, maybe, would, my, maybe my favorite alternate jersey i've seen in like i, I don't know, maybe ever i would say if there's like two categories of like city edition jerseys right which are like one is kind of one-off thing right and one is kind of like this is part of our like long-term identity and we've kind of modified this whatever in that category the nuggets are by far number one but in the kind of like hey, this is like a special thing just for this year one-off thing. I think the Wolves Prince jerseys are incredible. And I say that not only as a huge Prince fan, but as just a fan of like teams trying different things and, and it and it working. Um, 
Now let's talk about the Sixers. Now we're of different minds on this, which is a rarity, it seems sometimes. Um, aesthetically, they're fine. I think they're they're fine, and they could be good, right? You, they could just work. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they 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 the bar was set incredibly high last year with the parchment jerseys, which were just fantastic, and I wish they would have brought them back. Um, there's a lot about Nike having a rule of like not keeping the same jersey two years in a row, but you can get special uh, stuff for that, like the Jazz are keeping their same one, I believe, um, and maybe another team. Uh, I think San Antonio, maybe. But um, aesthetically, they're fine. The, the gray is interesting. The shorts make more sense than the jersey because the shorts look like sweat shorts and the jersey looks like a sweaty tank top. Um, I'm interested to see how they look like when they get sweaty. Will they get darker? Will they look weird? Um, I'm worried a little bit about the white showing up with the white stars and the white number on TV and at games from a distance, or will it kind of just look like all very light colored? Um, but I'm not here to talk aesthetics, Max, in the whole segment that I said we're going to talk about aesthetics. I'm going to talk about branding, and I don't mm-hmm. like it. Um, I don't like the, the, the whole Rocky thing. Right, and there's a couple of reasons. One, kill the Rocky thing. Stop it. Just fucking stop it. All right, the city is about way more than that. It's a fictional character made by a bunch of people who aren't even from here. Just fucking stop it. So that's point one. Point two is maybe a little bit more cranky, get off my lawn, old man thing than the first one, which is I don't like that it, they're basically now a walking advertisement for Creed Two. Right, so. The Brooklyn Nets are honoring Biggie Smalls, who's a, a Brooklyn legend, right? We want, we don't have a Philadelphia legend of that level. Same with Prince in 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 Minnesota. Same with, um, you know, the, the Nuggets. We don't we didn't go we didn't go that route. We didn't go like throwback, but you know, create a new look for it, right? Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we didn't go with just like oh, it's Los Suns, but there's a trim this year. Um, we didn't go with like a, a a city city symbol like the Chicago like the flag that everyone in Chicago loves across the chest of that right. We didn't go that yeah. route. Instead, we went marketing partnership, right? Where it's a partnership with MGM Studios, who is putting out Creed two, uh, to basically advertise the movie for them by putting this jersey on the players, which makes me feel icky, right? Because now, um. The way this team is run and the way all sports teams are run, I know they're businesses. They slap advertisements on everything. I have no problems with the advertising patch on the jersey or any of the advertising on the floor. But it just it's this is like not even subtle anymore, right? In in one of the pictures they released to unveil the jerseys, it was the Ben Simmons jersey or the Joel B jersey, whatever, hanging from the ropes of a boxing ring. And in that one image you can see the StubHub logo eight times. And the jersey itself is now an advertisement for Creed Two. And we're getting to the point now where, you know, day after game highlight reels that are tweeted by the official Sixers account are brought to you by a sponsor, and they come with an ad before, right? It'll say, like, brought to you by Nazar Bush in the tweet, and it's the ad reel. There's, they're slapping ways to make money on every little thing that now the basketball product is just becoming, like, the Ritz cracker, right? It's just the thing that brings the advertising to you. <laughs> oh, man. Am I it's not hot. wrong? Like, no. yeah, that's what it's becoming. And I understand that it's a business, and a lot of sports is done this way, but at least people attempt to be subtle about it or don't just go full walking advertisement as a jersey you're going to wear anywhere between, like, what, like, 8 and 17 times. And, like I said, the design is fine. 
but just the way that it is being put out to the public is fucking stupid. So I have the complete opposite opinion of this in that I think I'm going to fly to Seattle and fight you over this. (laughs) That I think the the design isn't good. Like I, I think it's, it's not terrible. It's not like the, the buzz city jerseys, the Orlando one, the low suns, the motor city, like those are all crappier. Right. I think it's just it's a really quick, small aside. Why did Orlando just go, Hey, last year's were cool. Let's just make this one worse, a worse version of last year's. I agree. That's stupid. I, I no, I agree. I think last year the the jersey they had last year was my favorite Sixers jersey in a long time. Um, the best they've done since the black uniform, like since they switched back to the red, white, and blue. Uh, it was disappointing to see that one go. I guess it's a situation where Nike is making everyone change their city jersey every year. I wish that the the parchment from last year replaced the red. Like, I don't yep. know how that would have worked, but, like, that would have been way better. If you had, if the red had been the city last year and you'd been able to get rid of that and replace it with the gray, I'd be less upset. I'm more upset that you're keeping the red and now you have an inferior version of the parchment jersey. Um, I, I think the design is, like, just kind of boring. There's just not a lot. I mean, other than the, gray, the, like, Heather Gray, which I do love Heather, so I'm, like, a little excited about a team wearing Heather Gray as a, as a color. But the, all the other elements of it, like, don't scream Rocky. They're just kind of like lame looking. I think the pants are. The, I mean, the shorts are cool because um, they have the ball and bend on the on the belt. Um, I do really like the tri- like kind of the belt trim, the red, white, and blue, really thick. Um, but I guess uh, overall, I'd, I'd give the design like a C or a C minus, right? I actually don't really care that much about the the advertisement part, and I don't. I I guess the, like I understand the slippery slope argument, um, and I think it's totally true. Like as soon as they started putting the, the StubHub patch, or like teams started doing the uh, the sponsorships, were allowed to do that. Like I'm aware that in ten years there's going to be more of them, right? Or the patch is going to be bigger, or it's going to be like soccer where the main thing is the the sponsor and the smaller thing is the team logo, and that sucks. And I'm not about that at all. But just for what it is right now, like, honestly, the StubHub patch hardly bothers me at all. Like, I don't even really notice it at the way it is now. And I understand it's going to get worse probably. But for right now, like, I don't really get why people take so much issue with it. And with the, the Rocky thing, like, okay, I think there's a difference between, um, you know, if the Warriors did a an Oracle jersey, or a Facebook jersey or something, you know, just like an obvious sponsorship that has nothing to do with the team. Like this is, I'm okay with it because they worked. And I think the Rocky thing's stupid. Like I don't, I don't really get it. It's a bad movie. Um, it's, you know, stupid because it's a fake character. But whatever, people like it. It has a connection to sports in the city. They play the, you know, the uh, the theme at every Eagles game. They play it at six, close Sixers game towards the end. Like. It's fine, um, and people think it's cool and whatever. I think it's like the fact that there's a sponsor element of it is. I don't really. I'm not bothered by it because I. It's like secondary to this thing that actually does kind of make sense. Like if you're thinking of like things you're going to make a city jersey around, I think the Constitution and like um, all the the history obviously comes first, which they did last year with the the Constitution jersey. And I think they could do more with that and do different things and the Liberty Bell jersey and whatever. But, like, 
Rocky is probably in the top. Like if, if that is one, if history is one category, Rocky's probably in the top three or four of like things people think of when they think of Philadelphia that like maybe have a, a visual tie-in. Um, so I don't hate it. I think it's fine. And also Rocky and Creed and whatever is like a, a decent franchise. It's not like Transformers or something. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty fine with it. And I don't know. It's just, it, it doesn't bother me the same way. I think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Now, if it were a Comcast Jersey or if, um, you know, they did some like health insurance company or whatever, like then I think there's a problem. Um, but I think it, I think it's about like what the connection is to the, to people in that area. Like if the Clippers wanted to do uh, an in and out burger jer- looking Jersey, like that, that's maybe a little too far, but I actually feel like that's really different because it's like a thing that people from that area like and respond positively to as opposed, or like a waffle house Jersey for the Hawks. Versus if it were, you know, a McDonald's jersey. Like, I just feel like there's a difference. And the Rocky thing also is different because it's, like, a character and a brand and whatever that's not, like, a product. But it is a product. Just because you don't go and physically buy it in a store, like, it's still something that is made to make money. And I don't know if there was money exchanged between MGM Studios and the Sixers and Nike or whatever, how it all works. It could have just been, like, a shared advertising thing. We've already seen... There's like a, a cut together trailer of Creed 2 that's an official thing with the, with the images that the Sixers shot for their unveiling of the jerseys. And there's going to be a lot of in-arena advertisement and you go both ways. And there was talk in the in the Zach Lowe piece about having them try to have Michael B. Jordan wear the jersey in the movie, but it didn't work out for whatever reason. And like that is product placement. That is a product. That's what you're doing. And the team now is essentially you're trotting the players out there in those uniforms and they're walking around as an advertisement for Creed 2. It's going to be mentioned on broadcasts, national and local. It's going to be all over the arena. And that's what it is. So, like, the Ritz Cracker thing I said before, that's exactly how I feel about it. It is, you are just putting your players out there. I mean, like, go advertise this movie for us. Go work on the, go do this partnership for us and make it look good. And, okay. I, no, go ahead. Joe, uh, I'll ask you this. So, let's say that this year there were a Prince movie coming out kind of in the same way that there was a queen movie that just came out, that there's been other like biopics of, of, you know, um, either, uh, dead or alive musicians. If there were a Prince movie that you felt good about, not like a shitty one, but like right. one that you were like, okay, this is going to be awesome. And the Timberwolves in conjunction with that did a Prince Jersey. Sure. And it was the exact same Prince Jersey. They just put out. That is awesome. Yeah. How would you feel about that? I would feel the same way, but to a slightly lesser degree, because Prince was a real human person. <laughs> that's that's fair. And it'd be a biopic about a real person who actually meant something to that city, who lived there, who experienced life there. Now, I would still feel the same way, that you're basically putting the players out there as a walking advertisement for a movie. And, you know, like, you can look at the Miami Vice ones, right? So, they're called Vice basically in name only, because it's a pun, and it's because that's, like, the next word you think of when you start typing Miami into Google, it autofills Vice. But the image of the, the jerseys themselves, just it just shows Miami, right? If you've ever been to Miami Beach, it's just constantly damp. I don't know why people like it so much. It's damp and terrible. Um, but everything's neon. Everything's bright. So you see those colors of that jersey. They could have been called like the Miami Streets jerseys, and it makes the same sense because you're like, okay, that looks like walking down uh, the beach in, on, on Miami Beach. It looks like you're walking at the restaurants and the hotels. It's all that. That actually represents the city. 
And then they basically turned it into a night version this year by switching the colors to black and having the same thing. That works. That represents the city. This does not represent the city. It represents a movie franchise. And I know it's just marketing copy, but from Nike's own website when they did this last year, they described the City Edition uniforms, which I will say a bunch of them from this year and even last year don't fit this qualification either, so it's not just the Sixers. Um, They represent insights and emotion from the court to the upper deck to the city's streets in pursuit of a unique way to capture each team and its city in a way that respects the past and present of the clubs while also positioning them for the future. This does literally none of the nine things listed in there. And I know it's just marketing copy, but it's just it doesn't work. And the fact that I don't know, it's just I disagree with that. I, I don't I mean, I don't for me, it doesn't really do anything. But clearly people in Philadelphia do have a connection to Rocky. And I I think there's, like, an emotional connection to the movie, to the character, to him being this, like, blue-collar hero, whatever. That fictional. He's fictional, but I know. From New York. But I'm saying, what was that? From New York. (laughs) Yes. Based on on a real boxer who was also from New York. I get it. I'm not saying I don't understand the like the the, the difference between like Prince and, and Rocky in this or you know Max, you're always walking around confusing Prince and Rocky. <laughs> it um, makes your Spotify searches real weird. But I think it, it there is a connection that people feel to to Rocky. Like I I think you're you're kind of dismissing that. Even the, like, I think you would admit that 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 is there, right? Like, sure, but it, see, I think this is also part of it too. Is that I don't think this is what City Edition should be for anybody, right? This is not what it should be. In my mind, which I think, you know, the Declaration of Independence won last year, or Constitution, whatever, whichever one it was. Uh, it's just parchment and script, whatever. It could be either one. Uh, that worked, right? The Miami one works. Uh, the, the, the Prince one works. The Brooklyn one works, right? Even the Brooklyn one last year with the bridge, like, that works. If you're going to go deeper and deeper, you're going to have a new City Edition every year, right? It makes logical sense <laughs> that the the first year, right, it's like, oh, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Philadelphia? Uh, the birthplace of America. Go with that, right? And then as you go deeper and deeper, it should be like, oh, here's a bunch of other things that are really unique about the city that it has to offer that you can put on a jersey instead of just going, oh, what movie's coming out soon? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and Drew Grand did a great thing, and Jimmy Donofrey and I were talking about it, Handsome Jimmy, a shirt designer, a friend. Uh, we're talking about this before too, about like the idea of like going back to like like the the Bucks did the Mecca jersey, right? The design yeah. is not as good as it probably could have been, but it's I love it. You could do a Spectrum one, right? And it looked great. Some, the mock-up he did is amazing. Yeah, it's did. it's fantastic. Um, and there's so many other things about Philadelphia, like it, it can be an opportunity to like show the rest of the NBA and all NBA fans, like this is what Philadelphia has. This is what's cool about Philadelphia, and that's what the city edition should be for everyone. But it's just like, no, this movie's coming out soon. Let's do that. And that's just as much on Nike as it is on anybody else, too. For a multi-billion dollar company who has probably some of the most creative people in the world, they're just mm-hmm. farting around left and right with these jerseys. Okay, well, can, can you think of any, like, sponsorship-ish jersey you would be okay with? Because, like, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking the one that comes to mind is uh, the Charlotte Hornets obviously have this connection with Jordan and the Jordan brand because they're the only NBA team with the Jordan logo instead of the Nike logo on their uh, chest uh, because Michael Jordan owns the team. If they were to do a, a jersey that had kind of that, like, cement and white kind of, like, um, leopard print or whatever it is from the old Jordans and incorporated other aspects of, like, popular Jordan shoes and then every player, you know, 
I guess you couldn't have every player wear Jordans because people have shoe deals, but you did something along those lines or Jordan warm-ups or whatever with, like, the old, like, J-O, like, the Air Jordan kind of, like, chess logo, like, word mark. Would that be to you shitty? I think people would love it. I think people would think it was really That'd cool. be shittier. <laughs> yeah. I think people would love it, though. First of I think all, he never, would like it, though. First of all, he never played there, so there's that. Yeah. Secondly, that's just basically a walking advertisement for the owner. That'd be like the Sixers walk around in like Harris Blitzer Entertainment Group jerseys or whatever. <laughs> Apollo, Apollo like management or whatever. Apollo management jerseys. Yeah, that, that'd be worse. That'd be much worse. So, yeah, I guess it could be worse if that's the point you were trying <laughs> well, to make. I agree that I would think that's worse, but I, right. I think people would like it. Is the thing in the same way that well, I don't, yeah, you could people would people love Nickelback, man. That's not the bar you set. Well, here's what I'll say: the the every ranking of of the city uniforms I looked at, and I don't agree with this because I just think it's a shitty looking jersey, or it's like a fine looking jersey, the Sixers gray, uh, gray one. Um, it's like number three on SI out of nine that that have been unveiled recently. It was like. I think a B minus or B plus or something on ESPN. Like people seem to like it more than we like it, but that's just purely aesthetics. I don't think it was purely aesthetics. I think I think they liked like the Prince one is number two on the SI and it looks good, but it's not the second best looking one. It just it's cool because it's Prince. It actually doesn't look that great at all. It's a little weird. It like I I I like it, but if you didn't have the Prince connection, you'd be like, why does it look like this? What the hell is going on? Well, because you need the Prince connection for it to make sense. I think the, the yeah, I, th- the I think the OKC one. and the the Nuggets are the best looking ones, like objectively. Like I think the OKC one just looks better than the Prince one, but the Prince one's number two, yeah, and the sure. Sixers one's number well, three. Well, yeah, it's somehow up there. the OKC one's number four on the SI one. So it's, I think they're. I think people are taking yeah, into account also like, like the, it, oh people like this thing in this city or like. If Milwaukee did one with like beer and it kind but of then, looked like the old Miller logo, but wasn't, you know, some like take on that kind of like the Brewers. Like I think people would like that, right? But like, yeah. But then people would probably love fucking cheesesteak jerseys too. And if they do that, I'm burning every peach of Sixers merch I have. Like that's 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 not what this is. Uh, it's just disappointing. It's it's a low bar to set, and you know, just there's there's money being exchanged for all this, so. If the team ever complains about wanting a new arena and they want taxpayer well, yeah, money for that. it, just remember that. And, uh, and, and fuck bigger, yeah, jer- fuck and that. fuck bigger and another point uh, that- sponsor logos, and fuck a Comcast jersey. Like I agree, I just think with what it is right now, I don't, I don't have that much of a problem. And then the same way, I don't really care about the little patch all that much, the subhub patch. I don't give a shit about the patch. That's fine. I don't care. But the fact that like that's that was the move, right? That was the concession league wide, like. This is how the league and teams will make these makes money by putting ads on, right? That was the concession, and now essentially the entire uniform is an ad for the Sixers and the Sixers only. And now that, that rants out of the way and we're done yelling, uh, we're running a little bit long, so we're not going to have time for questions uh, on this pod. Uh, but we'll be back sometime next week. We got a game, uh, an afternoon game tomorrow, morning game for you, Max. Uh, and then uh, we'll catch a couple more games and be back to talk about some more stuff. All right. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks for listening. And we promise not to yell so much next time. See ya.